The titanium skeleton tourbillon was also a near-perfect watch, in my opinion. It doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't have to. It's just wearable and fun. <laughs> all it had to do was be on my wrist and just knock me on the floor. It's just such a banger. I mean, come on. That's my cogent argument for it. It's such a banger. I mean, come on. Welcome to Blog to Watch Weekly with Rick and Ariel. Nope, not in it this week. Well, maybe just a little. Anyway, joining Ariel this week to start formulating a short list for the Watches and Wonders top 10 in show are Zach, Ed, and of course, David. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Blog to Watch at the tail end of Watches and Wonders Geneva 2022. I'm with a highly fatigued Blog to Watch team, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of our top watches of the show and some of the hits and misses of Watches and Wonders in general. We have been here in Geneva for over a week now. Um, we actually still have some more time at the show, but we've pretty much seen it all. And I'm joined by our David Breton, Bilal Khan, Edry, and I am, of course, Ariel Adams. So let's just sort of start by talking, was it difficult to come up with sort of a top 10 list? It's not done yet, but sometimes I remember we go to shows and be like, oh, it's really hard. Do we think that it's going to be difficult to find 10 watches that we think are really superlative products? I think it's going to be, well, we are right on there, right on there, where it's comfortable to find 10. Maybe we will be, you know, just discussing what the 10th is and which is the one that we are going to ultimately exclude, you know? 20 would be hard, right? 20 would be hard because there were not 20 standout watches, but like 11, 12, yeah, I think so. Blah, what about for you? Is it a hard calculus? Uh I agree. I think there's about eight truly great watches from the show, and I think we can find a couple more that, that can be squeezed in. Ed, do you think we're going to agree? Because we're about to talk about some of the watches we like. Do you think we're about to say a lot of the same things? I mean, I think there's definitely an overlap. I'd say probably, our, I would say between the top five, three of the watches will probably be pretty unanimous, unanimously shared, I think. Okay, so let's start to bring up mm. what some of those watches are. We just met with Parmigiani and we saw the new Tonda That's gonna PF be one of them. GMT Rattrapante. You know, a nice twist on a complication that people like a lot. Two time zones with sort of a hidden second time zone hand, which uses a Rattrapante style mechanism, which we usually see in chronographs. Satisfying, not particularly cheap at about 28,000 bucks, but um, I think it definitely gives Parmigiani some necessary distinctiveness in the mechanic side that they they always need more of so we all agree the uh the the gmt retroponte should be on the list right yeah what i like about it is that you know it's easy to create um, a design that is laid back and you know they say oh it's just so refined and so subdued etc but once you find a complication and tune it to match the design that's what i respect that they found that they looked at the GMT and GMTs and where times usually have all these different numbers and scales and all that like 24 different indices here you just got an extra hand and sometimes you can even hide that hand so they I respect that they know that I and you know they're aware it's not me but you know whoever buys this watch has the intelligence to determine that if it's 4 p.m. here it's going to be earlier in Los Angeles and it's going to be later in Shanghai to I'm saying this because most GMTs have like a 24-hour scale or like an AM, PM indicator or something like that so that you know and can, give, can keep track whether it's AM or PM in the, in the time zone that you're tracking. And you've worn some truly complicated, you know, travel watches. I'm yeah. thinking of like the Glashuta Original. Yeah, the and, Senator Cosmopolitan. Yeah, and of course, you know, Patek Philippe has reintroduced their World Timer again this year. So travel watches, GMT watches, World Timers 
all different flavors of kind of the same thing. And I think we all agree that what we tend to like is simplicity. The more complicated it is, you're just like, use a phone. Yeah, exactly. If the GMT hand points to 4 and I'm tracking Los Angeles, I know that it's 4 a.m. if it's in the afternoon where I am, right? So it's not that difficult. And the Rotrapon function comes in, and this is where this is new, is that it sends home, which is what Rotrapon means. It sends home the, uh, the GMT hand so that by the press of a button, you can hide that hand under the other hand, and boom, you have just a simple two hand. So it's a good the, fidget yeah. watch as well. Something it's to a play good with. fidget watch, yeah. yeah. I guess you okay. can say that. So Parmigiani definitely makes a list. No controversy there. Um, let's sort of start to go back to the beginning of the show and you know, Rolex and Patek Philippe were here. And we talked about the fact that it might be hard to find a Rolex because nothing is truly new. I mean, for me, the star of the show was the Air King because it was really the only new Rolex watch. Everything else was a well, modification. Are you kidding the me? GMT. Why is the GMT the yeah. first ever freaking upside down Rolex in a zillion years? It's not new for you. Uh, again, it's a discussion. For me, yeah. that wouldn't make the list. Okay. Right? I wouldn't put the GMT on there because it's it doesn't do anything new. It's just like a, it's just a mirror image, which is what it is, artistically speaking. But like... True. It doesn't make me want the GMT any more or less. It's just, oh, another flavor. I think we are to rediscuss and rediscover the importance of having that extra bit of comfort. You know, shouldn't all actual watches worn on the left hand, not by left-handed people, but on our left hand, have the crown on that side? It's just so much more comfortable. Do you use the crown? How often do you use a crown on your GMT? You know, Rolex GMT, never, ever. Okay, I think we should specify that you are a lefty, Ariel. And you don't love this watch, so it does hold. And you're extra also a lefty that you. wears your watch on your left. Hand I know, I'm the your... lowest percentile. I get that, but again, I'm not saying it's not good. But is it top ten worthy? We're, to- we're not looking in my top for 10, no. originality and innovation and just satisfaction. And I'm not saying it's a bad watch. It's fine, but I'm saying I don't know if it deserves to be on that list. No, it's not. It's yeah, not. I don't think so. Okay, does anything from Rolex? I, mean, I don't know about top ten, but my favorite is the fluted dial bezel motif. Just because I've been in the market for a date just for so long, I think it's pretty slick. Uh, the reference we handled didn't have the fluted bezel as well, but I mean, I, I really dig it. The green one only comes in the 41, but the 36 is probably the one I'd, I'd really want, the fluted bezel in blue, which is specific to the 36. So nice new flavors of Rolex. Yeah, it's something but, different. Okay, and, and how did any of you feel about the revised Air King? I'm not an Air King fan personally, but I feel like you like it. But didn't you like the Yachtmaster better? It was not my top Rolex. I'm simply saying from novelty perspective, the Air King was the thing that was, for me, the most new. I mean, you know, what's the news in the president, the day date? Now you have the fluted bezel, not in white gold, but also in platinum. I mean, which David is quite upset about. (laughs) Honestly, I yeah, honestly, I feel like the new Air King is like changing the the design of a Pepsi bottle. You know, it's still a Pepsi. Like everyone's going to say like, oh, I drink Coke, you know, in a a snobby kind of way. The Air King is the watch (laughs) that's been probably the least popular design in, in modern Rolex, you know, yeah. or, or it was most the weakest link. It was the weakest link. It's a it nicer was. case, but they kept the part that is the least attractive about that watch, which yeah. are the three, six and nine, especially yeah. on the dial. So they made it a I'm going to nix that one from the top as Why well. Why not just own it and have every single index, just a double digit minute marker. Just yeah. own it. Hey, hey, I, I hear you. I think that this might be the second time that we've gone to a show where Rolex has participated and agreed that it does not make the top 10 list. Again, great stuff, nothing wrong with it, but in terms of show top 10, 
I don't think it makes it. Now let's go over to the sister company, Tudor, that had actually a fair number of new models. Uh, people definitely like the Black Bay Pro, even though I'm not a huge fan of that of that name. Mm. Do you think that anything from Tudor deserves to be in the top 10 list? I think the Pro could ostensibly be in certain people's top 10. Right. Not mine, but I do think it, it has earned consideration for yeah. the top 10. Yeah. And, to, um, you know, it's, it's just such a, um, such a Jolly Joker kind of watch. It's like yeah. once you start looking at watches at a sub four grand range on a bracelet with a bespoke movement, etc. you know, with that sort of performance, it's a uh, stands out. And however they repackage it, it's still going to be an awesome watch. So we are looking at an awesome watch, but we've seen this over the course of the last number of years come out in different flavors. And the question here, I, don't, I think, is not whether this is a great package. It is. It's whether it's new enough and interesting enough for it to be on the top 10. And I don't think it's that interesting or that special. And the Pro designation, to me, doesn't say anything, really. What I was really surprised by was that Pro Diver, which has this three-letter name that I can't make up now on the 10th or you know, 30th day, FXD or something Oh, FXD, like the Marina. Yeah, the FXD. Yeah. That was super comfy. I really disliked the original concept when I saw those weird logs and the fact that I can't really the fixed, put... The fixed uh, spring bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I put it on with the, with that Velcro strap and it was really comfortable, nicely made. And I was like, this this would have been one of the last, you know, choices of, for me from Tudor. But I really dig that, you know, dug it in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was... Yeah, I would agree. Does the pro make the top 10 for you? No, right? You know, for me, it's one of those maybes. Like, if we're struggling, we have eight or nine watches, we'll throw the pro in there. I, mm. Again, it is a very marketable watch. Tudor always has very good commercial timepieces that if you're, like, you know, price comparing and feature comparing, Tudor's hard to beat. Um, but from sort of an emotional perspective, none of us are, like, super moved by it. And that's what we're looking for. But again, we're people that see an enormous number of new watches. Um, I think Patek Philippe is kind of the same way. I just, sorry, I just want to sidetrack this a little bit sure. and ask, how often do you guys think Rolex and Tudor should come up with something genuinely interesting? Should it be every year? Do we reasonably expect them to come out with something spectacular like the, like the uh, saturated color Oyster Perpetuals that are both affordable and cool looking? Should it be every three years? And then, you know, our job is then to own it and shut up for like two years and then, right. you know, look forward to the third year. So what is the reasonable sequence that we can um, expect? In terms of should, I don't know, but twice per decade, I think is a fair and reasonable mm -hmm. expectation. Okay. Twice per decade. Yeah, twice per decade. Okay. Well, again, in, in the context here, the current Daytona, which is one of the most popular models, has had some modifications, but it's essentially what fifteen years old now, or something like that. No, the current no. Daytona came out in twenty sixteen with the ceramic bezel. I mean, the one before that came out in two thousand and one or something. Okay, but I mean, it's very similar watch. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Is it really new? It's you know, it's it's a new bezel and a new dial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, Rolex, no. Tudor, maybe. Uh, Patek Philippe. You know, the funny thing is there's always a lot of discussion at the shows where Patek Philippe presents and everyone's talking about the new Pateks. It's one of the names that we've heard the least here. Yeah. yeah. And I want to, why, why do we think that is? Why do we think we've heard almost nothing from Patek Philippe? I think we should, we should start and balance the Patek Philippe name with the amount of watches that they produce in a year. Like, boom, big news, a, a company that produces 50,000 watches in a year, which is, you know, chump change compared to, uh, you know, the other ones, did something new. Who cares? I mean, it's their weight should be, I think, in line with how, however many watches they produce. 
You know, if you're running a company that produces 50,000 watches and you uh, announce a new line in which you are going to manufacture 2,000 watches, we are talking about the impact of a strange pilot or whatever vintage design of 2,000 watches. That's nothing. I also do think, like, to be fair, we haven't seen Patek yet. We do have, that's technically the very last meeting. And if we're putting together our top 10 list, you know, I think there is something to be said about experiencing it in the metal, being able to put these on. So I feel like we might be a little bit biased in I terms of... That's true, but the fact that we have not heard much about them is directly connected to the fact that they have not put out a new sports watch this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's a sad fact that their other collections just do not invite that kind of excitement yeah. at all. I don't know many people that are looking for a college robber right now. Well, that's Actively. the funny thing. You know, a company like, like Patek Philippe sells a large number of products. And when all the attention is literally on one dial, that doesn't do the rest of their models any good whatsoever. So the de-emphasis on the Nautilus strategically makes sense. But I think what was so powerful about the Nautilus to begin with, by no means now, was that it was steel and it was nice and it was, you know, not, you know, $50,000. There is a you know a three-hand sporty-looking Patek Philippe. I forget the reference number. It's got that kind of like um, uh, sort of like gritty dial, and it's yeah. white gold. And it's like you know it, it looks like a simple everyday watch, but it's white gold, and it, it probably costs more than a Nautilus. And it's kind of interesting that the brand is struggling a little bit in the area where it was traditionally really good, which was sort of those forty you know forty to I don't know. $60,000 timepieces, which is, um, again, as Ed said, no one's super in the market for a Calatrava. We did see the watches through the window. The new world timers are nice. Yeah, so that's that's sort of a strong maybe. And let's let's continue to sort of look on, on that half of the show what sort of people may not know is that Watches and Wonders is really sort of like two shows in one. There's one wing, which is sort of the old SIHH wing, and another wing, which is sort of like, you know, what we joke, Rolex and Friends, the, the Basel brands. So let's continue sort of in the Rolex and Friends side before we jump over to the, the mostly Richemont side, not exclusively Richemont side. Well, also, just I know I think people like to hear kind of about the experience, but we've joked about how it's just a, being at this show, there's that replica Tudor Rolex Patek layout in the same area. And the only thing that is, that's missing are the escalators and <laughs> the weird tree and flowers. It was trippy. Yeah, it's, it trippy. it's weird to be here and experience what is a very identical layout, but not have that actual, actual. There, there is some deja vu, which I think was definitely intentional. You know, we went to Time to Watches the other day, which is a completely different show that was very reminiscent of the Hall 2 experience at Basel World. Slightly smaller booths, interesting mixture of high and low, you know, small to medium sized brands in terms of high and low end. And, and again, I think that the, this is an industry that loves tradition they don't want a brand new show. In fact, the familiarity is actually probably comforting to most of the brands here. What about Showpard? I was actually pretty impressed. Yeah. They had that Alpine mm -hmm. Eagle, I don't know if it was it was named ultra thin, but a quite a thin mm -hmm. tourbillon. What an attractive watch that was. A lot of great tourbillons. Stunning, in my top 10, yeah, for really? sure. It's done nothing for me. <laughs> it's so weird, it's just another, thin-ish tourbillon. I mean, it's like nine millimeters or eight point something millimeters. It's not that thin. 
The Alpine Eagle, I think, looks way better than other renditions. And to me, it feels like we have this thin movement. Let's throw it in the Alpine Eagle and see what happens. Well, look, it's an automatic. It, okay, fair enough. It looks a little bit more interesting than your standard you know, tourbillon. It's got a nice bridge design and things like that. I think what's amazing about it is the wearability, plus that it's sort of like not the Royal Oak. Even if tourbillon. I had that kind of money, I would still buy the 8 hertz Alpine Eagle. Because in terms of watchmaking, it's even more exotic and rare than a tourbillon these days. To have a watch with 8 hertz, that's great. It has the, the more traditional Alpine Eagle design without the open dial. I feel like an open heart design looks kind of old on that watch. So that's, that's the one I would get and save, I don't know, however many tens of thousands. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's, it's not for everyone. I think that the tourbillon has a visibility that people know. 8 hertz is more like you privately know. It's for the nerds. It really depends what you're looking for, but it's yeah. definitely something that's a little bit more showy. Continuing to think about that part of the, the show and that area as we put the Alpine Eagle tourbillon on the maybe list. Mm -hmm. We, have, of course, had Chanel, which is great, but they didn't really have any men's watches to show. And we mostly focus on men's watches for this because that's us and our audience. Who else was sort of over there? We have Tag Heuer, of course. But, hold on, sorry. So what, what happened with Chanel? Like a few years ago, the last time we saw them, they had all these crazy new movements uh, from that manufacturer cone with two-door, you know, and, and we could see that they were on a roll and now no new they have watches. It. They have the Kinesi yeah. um, equipped J12s exclusively in women's sizes right now. What? Yeah. So the, the Chanel has made a strategic decision to, I mean, there are some men's watches they make, like the Monceau, and they're great, but it's, it's a very, very small segment Super of their brand. Niche. It's very, very niche. So let's go back to Tag Heuer, a lot less niche. They had a lot of cool stuff. I know this is a bit controversial, but I really like the Aqua Racer Solar Graph. This is a nearly $3,000 solar-powered you know, dive watch. They claim that it's a vast improvement on the type of solar-powered watches that you might experience from Japanese brands like a Citizen, especially in regard to it just needs like a few seconds of light and boom, it works. I, I think know. it's like two minutes of sunlight for days of power reserve. Something like it's that. It's still pretty efficient. I can't necessarily compare and contrast that to other ones, but what's so interesting is you know, they said there was a relationship with Le Joux Pere, which mm. is a Swiss movement maker that's really been on a roll. So many watches this year are using their movements. That's awesome. But Le Joux Pere is owned by the Citizen Group. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, of course, <laughs> EcoDrive uh -oh. comes from Citizen. And a lot of the movements that uh, Le Joux Pere has been making look very much like the 9000 series from Miyota. Obviously made in Switzerland with different decorations, stuff like that. But Le Joux Pere is sort of a quiet winner right now and being able to bring over a lot of what they did great in Japan. Yeah. What an interesting reversal, right? It's an amazing thing to offer Japanese technology to, to the Swiss brands and get away with it and, and be on a roll, you know? Yeah, so is it is the SolarGraph kind of an expensive EcoDrive? Yeah. With, a, with a cooler case. Yeah, I mean, design-wise, it'll, it'll beat them out. Of, I thought the AquaRacer SolarGraph was an interesting thing to put on there. Uh, Tag, of course, had some other good stuff. But again, would you have other ideas at Tag? Does that deserve to be on the list? I feel like I feel like it's kind of dumb to to look down on uh, on 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 uh, the, the Swiss importing technologies from Japan. 
if you look at the car industry, for example, would you not buy a Bugatti or would you not buy a Porsche or a Ferrari or whatever <laughs> just because, would you not buy a Ferrari just because it has a Bosch ABS system? You know, it's like, no, they go to the Germans and they get the best ABS and fraction control systems, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong, but this is an industry that likes to say that Switzerland does everything, it's all done here, it's not very openly about the sharing. So but us as enthusiasts, we like that it's it's using the best of here. No one does light-powered stuff better than Citizen. Of course you'd want their architecture. Yeah. And again, adding some different components to make it high-end is fine. So I agree with you, but from the brand perspective, they tend to like to pretend they do everything themselves. I think that cat's out of the bag. Yeah, so I know. I, yeah. li I like the solar graph. I guess the question is, was there something else from Tag Quarry that you feel make the list? I, the other Aqua Racers were okay, not per se the type of thing that gets me as emotionally excited. No, I feel like previous years, like a, a, a number of years ago, they were more on a roll. Like, you know, the, that time when they launched the Bamford Monaco, that was super freaking cool. I, right. I remember yeah. every single year going to that huge Tag Heuer booth uh, in Hole 1 to the right-hand side in, at Basel and coming out thinking like, okay, do I want to spend three grand or seven grand on my next Tag Heuer because they are so freaking awesome. Right. And this year, I don't feel like that at all. It's, look, it's going through a transitional period right now. I still think that the Connected is one of their top products. Yeah. And of course, their highlight product was a, the, the Plasma, the Carrera, you know, the, the Turbion Plasma, this 350,000 Swiss franc watch that's going to be made in tiny numbers. Uh, there's only one diamonds. of them right now. Lab-grown diamonds all over it. It uses their the Nanograph, which is their, their, their carbon-based hairspring and the sort of high-performance turbion movement just an awesome showy watch i'm not sure necessarily why it costs that much but it's it's cool but that's the exact opposite spectrum than something like a solar graph it's cool but it's one of those things that you can only see through a glass case mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of hard to be too excited about it because it's kind of the same thing as seeing something yeah. on your phone really yeah. Yeah. but good for them you know We'll okay. see what happens so, in the so next what do you years. feel about the solar graph? Is that a contender for the top ten list? I mean, it sounds like it's in yours, which is fair. Again, I I liked it. I think the market will respond to it well. I am a fan of high end quartz. I have talked about its comeback for a long time now, especially when it does cool things like that. I mean, look, if someone gave you that watch, you'd be happy because you're like, that's really practical. To spend nearly $3,000 on it requires you to, like Ed said, appreciate the nice design, the, 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 you know, the materials. It is probably better looking than most EcoDrives yeah. out there from a mm -hmm. style perspective. It's not the cheapest aqua racer, right? So I, 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 I don't know. I found, I found it compelling. I think it'll do well. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's a niche product. And again, that's what's interesting about the show. I think they are testing the waters there. Yeah. Like how yeah. do people react to a quartz, solar quartz three grand Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and see what happens. It, it, I think it would have been ideal for it to exist in like four or five colorways as opposed to just a black on black with white markers. It's, it's probably the, the safest and dullest thing that, okay, we make the least offensive design that anyone can kind of probably like so that we can filter that element out so that we have a watch that people look at and if they like the proposition there, they will pull the trigger on it. I as opposed to like confuse people so that we can monitor exactly what's happening with the technology that we are offering and the price proposition and not other factors. That's what I think is happening. Okay, so let's continue to talk about that part of the show, fellow LVMH brand Zenith that we met with today. A lot of very strong watches. I like the Defy Skyline. But that's a weird thing because it wasn't really introduced here. No. 
right? So Came there's a few, few others that ago. were. Yeah. So Bilal, what do you think about our meeting there? We obviously all like the watches there. Is there a standout, Zenith? There was the Chronomaster Open, which they scaled down from, I think, a 43 millimeter case to a 40 and a half. Looks great. Looks awesome. I'd put it in my top 10 for sure. The Chronomaster Open. Okay. Now we know that very often the sort of open heart dial that has an exposed element on the dial that shows the regulation system is not something that enthusiasts like. You know, and Bolova does that. We're like, don't do that anymore. We don't like it. Yet when Zenith does it, it's it's not so bad. Uh, do we all like this look, or are they the, they're the outlier that can get away with it? I prefer my El Primero's not open. El Primero closed. You actually have one on you right I, now. I do. With a solid dial. So I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely biased, but that's just me. I'm I'm a little bit on the on the side of for sort of daily wear having a closed dial. But if you're someone that's just getting into watches, wants to impress your friends, wants to see that look, I agree with Bilal that the size is way more wearable now. It is a nice piece. I think they'll do well with it. I'm not necessarily sure it's my top 10 though. Yeah, the way I would put it if, is, is if I were in my first five years of watch appreciation, yeah. I would get a, an open heart. And any time onwards from that, I would get a solid dial. Because in my first five years, I want to see the balance well. I want to see that escapement just taking away. It's just mesmerizing. But once you've been through that phase, however many years you want to call it, you, you, you're like, okay, I appreciate design and style and whatever. I don't need to see that balance all the time. Um, but Zenith was an absolute highlight for me as well. I mean, so many awesome watches. The white one with the rainbow indices, white ceramic case. It's just such an awesome looking watch. Yeah. And then the other one was an orange case. It was like a Defy Extreme with like a crazy 100th of a second, some, mm -hmm. some sort of a crazy chronograph. And I asked how much it was, and it was like 25 grand. So I was like, okay, okay, we are really uh, stretching the prices here. But at least it was a watch that told me that Zenith is not being sucked into this abyss of its own history and just repetition. But they can go out and put like an orange rubber strap on a carbon case and put in like a crazy movement with two balance wheels. And sure, it's going to cost 25 grand, but it's an amazing, amazing watch. What I liked was their sport watches in gold. What were these called? Were they Chronosport? What were they called? No. Uh, they are not the Sport. They are just Zenith the, Primero. No, the, no, it's the Chronomaster Sport. The Chronomaster Sport. Chronomaster Sport. Chronomaster right. Sport. With the one-tenth of a second El Primero movement. They came yeah. out with this in steel a while ago. Now, this is a direct competitor to the Rolex Daytona. Like, in, hands in down. Gold. yeah. No, all of them. Yeah, yeah, but they, I'm weird. Yeah, just you just set on uh, set off on the uh, gold version. But the steel ones, as well as the two tone, as well as the all gold, are priced literally right there, or just a tiny bit lower than the Rolex equivalent. Zenith has a long history of supplying El Primero movements to Rolex in the late '80s and early '90s, and, and, and throughout most of the '90s, to to fit Daytona watches. So this is very polarizing. On the one end, you're like, it's just a Daytona copycat. On the other hand. You're talking about a copycat of a watch which is hard to get and, and is satisfying. And it seems to make sense. It's different enough. You know, I remember like five or six years ago, Zenith was a brand that everyone liked, but no one was sure which one they'd want to wear. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see like watches are like, damn, I'd be happy to wear this every day. So I know it's not the most original, but I found the Chronomaster Sport, especially the gold ones, like truly satisfying. I'd put it on the list for Zenith, especially since it's brand new. Originality in concept is a secondary thing in perfection of its execution. And they're so nicely finished that I don't care if it doesn't, you know, stray too far from that classic chronograph look. 
it's so nice and it's not expensive at all and you can buy one so what yeah. more do you have to ask for really the gold is a much more niche mm, proposition i understand yeah. that but on the gold bracelet it's a pink gold bracelet pink gold case with a black dial and i felt like you know you can go out and spend 30 something grand and you can buy something that is a lot more classy as far as you know a gold bracelet watch can be but it's a way classier watch than an all gold rolex you know especially an all gold daytona because well, you know yeah. the day date is, is classy but an, an all gold daytona for me is kind of repulsive <laughs> in some way and but these ones were like okay i could see you know someone could get away with it yeah it, it, it made me smile I, look i i would put the chronomaster sport in gold on there because it did again every one of us when we put it on we smiled we were all so happy at that meeting oh yeah, yeah. we were all yeah. beaming yeah. at every new zenith that we put on exactly and the the defy skyline which as we said we already covered prior to the show so it's not technically new something like an eighty four hundred dollar price point with yeah, a sort of a toned down el primero which basically means no chronograph but it still has the five hertz movement and what people think is a subsidiary seconds hand on the dial is actually a 10 second hand and so it moves around there quite fast so you have this animation it's that integrated you know steel bracelet look it's 41 millimeters wide so it's not crazy big even though it wears bold it comes with a bracelet as well as a rubber strap that you can you know take out and put in yourself and a great strap chain system so yeah, easy yeah, yeah. so simple excellent 10 so, out of 10 on that one uh, yeah i think that's great now uh, again so we, we've definitely got something on the list from zenith the final lvmh brand that showed here was hublot again a meeting that we all smiled at many many times some of the watches that stood out to me the most was the ceramic colors of the big bang integral again this is i believe the 42 millimeter wide version of the big bang ceramic case and matching bracelet in these you know colors there was the tan version there was two different tones of blue i think there was a green one the dark green one yeah. yeah um you know in terms of like a daily wear for someone that likes a pop of color it, it is those were fun was not the only watch new from Hublot, but what do we think about an Hublot for the top ten? I feel like I feel like those colorful watches. It's it's more than a pop of color. It's it's appreciating the technology that goes into creating a saturated and perfectly consistent color ceramic. Because if you look at how Rolex communicates about how it produces its ceramic vessels, it's kind of backwards. You know, it, it feels like Rolex couldn't figure out something that Hublot could. Rolex creates one single colored ceramic bezel and then cooks the other half or impregnates it the, uh, the other half and kind of turns it into another color. Whereas Hublot uniquely managed to insert pigments into the ceramic and cook it because you have to cook ceramic and heat it in a way that the pigments don't fall apart. And that way you have a ceramic that is not only colored on the surface, but it's colored all the way through and you can color it in any way you want. And when you're, we are sitting there, and there's this super powerful dark blue and then there's this baby blue and then this dark green and you're looking at ceramic which will never scratch it will never fade and you know that you own that color for as long as you own that watch and it's even in a bracelet that feels good on the wrist i feel like that's a super strong product that goes way beyond just simply owning a pop of color it's the technology that you own that nobody else offers at this moment I absolutely agree. So is that the one? Is it the, the Big Bang Integral ceramic? I think we do need to talk about the square Big Bang if we're going to talk about Hublot. Absolutely. 
As a top 10 or just in general? Just in general. I think people are going to want to hear what we think about that watch because it was definitely their biggest release of the year, right? You will see it on people's wrists, but it's in my mind as top 10. It's it's such a weird looking thing, especially on images. In images, it's way more offensive (laughs) than than elsewhere. It looks like a (laughs) Santos copy, but once you put it on, the Santos thing just goes away and what we're left with is this taste of compensation basically it's just such a comp- such a boldly compensatory watch that it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't think it's more compensatory than other hublot really watches. i don't know okay it feels a little bit more subtle but i mean if we're talking about color feels subtle no i mean in comparison in comparison, <laughs> Sorry, in comparison <laughs> we can't use that word in, in any hublot sentence but if we're talking about color the uh murakami watch Oh uh, with the 300 plus, or it's close to 400 set uh, gemstones, I want to say. The, just you, We talked about fidgety, spinny watches, but I mean, it's just mesmerizing to watch uh, when it's on the wrist. And it's it's something that makes you smile. And so much fun. So An much awesome color. awesome watch, unfortunately not eligible because it was released before the show. But let's not forget some of the, the, the classic fusion Orlinskis. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. were, I think, a little bit niche to make the top 10. But if you're looking for a slightly avant-garde contemporary dress watch those are freaking cool mm. and crazy and huge amounts of personality it's like the it's like a reverse piaget <laughs> you know what i mean that's <laughs> like, exactly what it is like the total opposite of an altiplano yeah. um and again so i i think that you know we can't have multiple ublos on the list the the integral ceramic is a good size very bold universal because there's a lot of different color options right there but Hublot, again, typically a strong contender, a lot of emotions, combination of new things, unexpected things. So oh, I think we should go with that, the, the integral ceramic. Fine, sure. Okay. What else are we missing from this, that half of the Watches and Wonders show? I mean, there was Oris that was there. I'm not sure that... I think the ProPilot X Caliber 400 is so much watch for under $4,000. Okay. I would put it on my personal top 10, mm-hmm. for sure. It comes in the gray and the salmon and the blue dials. It's so well finished. It's perfectly sized. I think it's 39 millimeters. The bracelet, the case, all excellent. It's such a long power reserve. I forget exactly how long it is. About five days. It's about five, five days, days. Yeah. yeah. Excellently finished. It's in my personal top 10. I like that one a lot. I think that the original ProPilot X had a great case and bracelet. It had this, you know, skeletonized dial that wasn't the most legible, wasn't the cheapest, was cool. Now they've, like Bilal said, reduced the size of the case, offered some very simple but satisfying colorful dials and a matte finish. I personally would have liked the dials to be a little bit different, but I actually agree that it is a very marketable product. It's mainstream, absolutely. Yeah. And it, 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 it serves the price point well, whereas I think that some of the other Oris models at that price point would actually be more sellable with a more simple movement at a lower price point. So, okay, so uh, guys, what do you think? You know, uh, so far what we've been talking about, I guess we can put the Oris on there unless something else bumps it off. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Now. Again, I, I, we, we've been here for so long, we're, we're forgetting brands that we see right in front of us. Anything else from that side of the show? There's Grand Seiko. Oh, There's see, Grand there Seiko. we go. Yeah. Like, that's they an easy top three, Evolution top two, nine, maybe. The Kodo, you mean? The Kodo. The Kodo yeah. Okay. The okay. Kodo, go ahead, Ed. Sorry. I, it's just, oh, I, I, I was talking to all of you guys about this. Like, just, it is one of those pieces that we get to see, and how many people in the world will ever get to see that? It's limited mm. to 20 pieces. 
they've made they're going to make what three this year like a couple three or four, per, three year. Or four per, year. per year so you know over the course of the next five years there will be a yeah. total of 20. i mean it's a crazy expensive watch it's what 330 euros but just the rarity of it thousand and, huh 340,000 euros. You said 330 euros. I don't think anyone's going to get that. Crazy expensive. It's not an SKX alternative. I'm waxing poetic about a 330 euro watch. Psycho 5 now with Constant Uh, Force Turbine. I really enjoyed our meeting with Grand Seiko. Their quality is fantastic. The new Evolution 8 sport watches were nice. Evolution 9. Oh, sorry. Evolution Evolution 9. so tired of this. So close. So close. There's so many things probably called Evolution 8, you know? Yeah. But again, really expensive, not a vast departure from what they've done before. The Kodo is by far the more interesting uh, of the new stuff. But again, it's I struggle a little bit because of availability. I'd like to have watches that feasibly you could get. I mean, with what with what Grand Seiko has been doing, I don't know that they need like to be on the top 10 list to like sell those watches. You know so, what I mean? So here's, here's, here's a question. I feel like... For a moment, I disagreed with you, and then for a moment, I, I, I actually agreed with you. Because, one, so many people have spent so much time and effort to create that Kodo, and it's amazing, and it's one of the flagship models ever to have existed under the Grand Seiko name. But, to counter that, I would say, what if all those super sharp engineers and watchmakers would have spent all that time and energy to create something that we can afford at, like, 10 grand? Right, so why put so many years of research and development to create a watch that of which you will make twenty over the course of five years, as opposed to create something as genius as the spring drive is, for example? Well, I think it's an interesting difference between all of our top ten lists. I mean, Ariel feels like one of your metrics is availability or general. You know, for me, that's not. I think it's just the the kind of watch that it is i think rarity plays into it probably more for my list than it does for yours but i think that's kind of the fun part about putting together these you know we've got four different top 10 lists here that you know it's not a uniform metric that we use across the board so yeah i think the kodo is so Mm -hmm. ambitious Mm -hmm. and so excellently finished that i would certainly place it close to the top 10 if not in my top 10 again you know it doesn't break your top 10 it it doesn't break my th- well no it like, might it be make, in my top 10 yeah it is very close to being in my top 10 and it might be in my top 10 i'm just too close to the show to know if it mm-hmm. is or not yeah the evolution 9 pieces if they were all about two thousand dollars cheaper would easily be in my top 10 mm-hmm. but they're just a little too expensive for me yeah. and that's all i gotta say about those but they're so nice and like they are so nice on the wrist that's so comfortable point. so well finished yeah i would put the koro in my top 10 just for the sound that it yeah has. oh my god right? the, the rhythm hypnotic. of it, it's mesmerizing Okay, again, we're, we're just discussing here. I mean, we all agree it's a fantastic watch. None of us would, you know, refuse it. But this show has... It's ambitious, and we shouldn't, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, hold that against them, I think. We have a list already here that includes 10 watches, so I think now is the point of trying to figure out which ones deserve to be on there. Now, let's go to the other side of the show, and we have the Richemont Brands plus the Carré. 
that we didn't talk about as well. So before we go to the Richemont brands, or maybe we should do the, the, the you know. Let's the, go the Richemont way, yeah. We'll do the Richemont brands now. Richemont was a very different set of brands compared to the other side of the show. Seemingly a little bit less prepared in terms of sort of their overall strategies and things like that. Definitely new products, some nice stuff. We didn't have the opportunity to get the sort of full-on experience. You know, there's a combination of high and low end. I know there's some years where we go to the Richemont brands, like it's just stuff over 10,000 bucks. <laughs> I will say, even though we didn't have the most successful meeting there, I liked the under $3,000 Mont Blanc Iced Ocean collection. The watches have a nice style, nicely made movement, all the little features you want, sort of a modern sporty dive watch, you know, micro adjust clasp and things like that. I don't know how they're gonna be marketed, but this is a strong product. It is a very strong product, yeah. I like them a lot. Um, so that would be something that, that I would tentatively put on the list. I didn't love them, but I can see why people would. Yeah. It's a, again, it's, it's commercial. Like if you told someone and recommend to them, I can't see them being like, oh my God, this was terrible. Like no, it's, it's not terrible. It's a satisfying watch. So yeah. that's one that, that I like on there. I, I don't know that switching other brands there, we're gonna go through it kind of quickly. Panerai. Okay stuff. I don't know that any of us are just like, it's got to be... Iterations under. of good stuff, but okay nothing doing? that's going to be in the top 10. What's no. okay about it? I, 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 what, what is? Well, look, the Submersible is a fun watch. They have sort of the 44 millimeter wide case now. It was never in that size. It was either smaller or bigger, a little bit thinner than before. It's satisfying, but it's very expensive. And again, it really looks so much like what we've seen before. So there's some nice commercial stuff at Panerai, but I wouldn't necessarily put anything on the list myself. I, I think Panerai needs to like really, really step up its game. I feel like those watches don't look as expensive as they are. I feel like they've totally, for all kinds of reasons, abandoned the historical ties to their watches. So it used to be the argument that you can't have the Panerai that you want because it's not historically accurate. But that was like five years ago, and now we are living times when all you have to do is, if you want the new Panerai, is lean back and see what sort of a weird kind of permutation of their design they will launch that year. And you know, maybe you got lucky and you will get the color and the sub in the right place and all that kind of stuff the way that you want it. But maybe you don't. I feel like Panerai could has so much potential still. But I, uh, the last number of years, they have more or less disappointed me, if I'm honest. What about Along and Zona? We really admire their watches. They're always fantastic. They had a slightly new version of the Grand Longue one, which is a little bit thinner, slightly revised. It's fine. The Odysseus and Titanium was probably my favorite Absolutely. of the watches. The best Odysseus to date, I think. Yeah, but there's only like been like what, one there's other There's been three. One? There's been three, it really? It came steel. in white gold and steel, and now it's in titanium, yeah. and it's just getting better and better. It's, I love that watch. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's nice. Um, you know, was it fifty thousand dollars? It's probably like the best fifty five, fifty six thousand five hundred dollar watch you can buy. It's very specific. I think yeah. it's worth the money. I did the video on it, so I had to learn it. Well, I was just saying that it's worth that money. It's worth it. If if I had that kind of money to spend on a watch, and I wanted the status, I wanted the uh, the craftsmanship, I wanted the comfort and the durability, I would just be like. You know, I would just get the, the Odysseus in, Absolutely. In, in, or Odyssey in that uh, material. I think we all agree that Odysseus is like really wearable. None of us would refuse it. It's so funky and well made. I just love it. It's so great. And even in steel, I was surprised to hear that it's like 30 grand in steel. And I'm yeah. like, you can buy a Rolex in white gold on that 
for me at least, not very comfortable Oyster Flex bracelet for that much. Or you can have a Lange in all steel, yeah. beautifully finished, that's durable. You can jump in the water with it and it's going to survive for 30 grand and still, I mean, you know, there's no contest there. You know, I want to just quickly go back to Chopard because remember that they had the, this trilogy collection for the 25th anniversary of the LUC manufacturer and there are all these chiming washes. Sometimes it's easy to write these off because they're so expensive, but they did have like the loudest minute repeaters we've ever heard, especially yeah. when worn on the wrist, especially like the Sapphire Crystal model there. Is there... Is there something there to potentially be on the list? I feel like the, the full strike has existed for what, like for five, six years ago was the, was the first time when I saw it. Correct. And I remember that I was there at the launch and I remember it was so full of sound. It was just this rich, dense, high volume sound. And I was like, when you listen to a traditional mini repeater, it's like ding, ding, ding. It's like a little mouse hitting a tiny little bell and then that's it. And this is like an actual proper thing that if, you, if I start here, you know, people like several desks away from us will still hear it. They are, they, they be like, what's that? So I feel like every minute repeater in existence should have been something like that, but they are not. You, you watch a video of a minute repeater from any other brand and you hear that crisp sound and you imagine what it's going to be like in real life and you're disappointed because the volume is about a fifth of what you would imagine. And the full strike is what it says on the tin and it really is amazing. And they've done that by creating this front crystal that goes down and basically wraps around the movement and the hammers strike the crystal and because it's one piece all that sound and all those vibrations are basically transferred onto the front crystal that you always look through so that's your speaker basically that is basically you know functioning as yeah. a interpreter so the sound is rich and now it's available in the sapphire crystal case which is just really just you know Bonkers. Yeah, it's cool. I we'll get back to that. Again, I was just sort of thinking about other exceptional watches. You know, thinking about the Kodo and stuff like that. Because again, there's those watches that we like to recommend, which you know your your average luxury watch buyer can probably get. And then there's those crazy ones where you know you have to be not just an elite group of income, but getting the watches is a challenge unto itself. Going back over to the Richemont side, Piaget, nice. I'm not sure there's anything that really stood out. They mostly focus, I believe, on their on their women's watches, which which are fine. IWC is interesting because you have a lot of watches that are not new, but with like attractive flavors of them. And I'm torn because I like a lot of them, maybe not at a specific price point, yet it's hard to call it a new watch. Yeah. And I'd like your thoughts on that. I don't think they're new enough to be, you know, top of show worthy, yeah. but I think we're ignoring the two bangers from Richemont, which are Cartier and Vacheron. Oh, I haven't gotten there who yet. Who both had just excellent stuff. Well, real, real quick about IWC, I think those are watches that really do need to be seen in person because you see the pat, the whole Pantone campaign and you're like, okay, cool, they have these new Pantone schemes that are proprietary and whatever, and it's you know these variations of white and sand and, and green. But really, when you see it in person, that Tahoe, the white is just, mm -hmm. it's really stunning. It's, 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 it's a really it's nice a watch. watch. It's, it's much nicer than you would have ever thought in any of the press photos. And then they also had that 41 millimeter version, the, the shrunk down version of the, the matte gray Ceritanium Top Gun Chrono. And that is just so slick. Hmm. And it's a bummer because it's sneakily more expensive than the Tahoe by oh, yeah. a good like $3,000 maybe. I, oh yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's 
a very intelligent approach to this design because when we went to that we were very privileged to be able to attend that Hans Zimmer concert that oh, IWC yeah. had and they worked together with Pantone and with Hans Zimmer and when Hans Zimmer came up to the stage he said that he actually composed five pieces of music in the same way how these five different variations of Pantone colors work because if you mix five different colors most of the time you will get something that's terrible but these five colors in which these five IWC watches exist, if you mix those five colors, you will get a nice color. And he created five pieces of music in which if you pay, play together, it will be harmonious Yeah, that and there's nice. a cohesiveness to it. And that cohesiveness is lacking even from very considered brands cons uh, like Rolex. To go ahead and say like, okay, we're going to yeah, make five really colors point. and why not have an intelligent approach? And that is, by the way, something that was missing confusingly from Hublot. I was sitting there and I'm like, I like all four colors and yet I'm not sure which one I would buy. And at IWC, I feel like, wow, this is such yeah, a tasteful and intelligent approach. That's a really interesting point because Hublot, I would say the, the standout kind of feature in general was color. You know, we talked about earlier about that color was the commonality amongst all the different collections. But specifically with IWC, it is color, but it is is laid out in a thematic way with the Pantone, and it's you know as you said much more cohesive in general. And you know, like it or not, I, it's it's up to people's taste. But there is something to be said about having that kind of intentionality with how you're going to approach color and how it manifests itself in each of these different watches. But isn't that the most intelligent presentation of this show? That the most intelligent approach to a collection. Into uh. Define intelligent. I mean, I loved it, but I think it's great. But ninety nine percent of the people that buy these watches are not going to know anything about that. That's fine, but that doesn't make well, a difference. I think David just presented a compellingly elegant argument for these watches to mm -hmm. be in our top ten mm -hmm. list. I'm convinced. Yeah, I, I think so. we can't put them all. Would it be the Lake Tahoe? I think you could make would that be the one. Yeah. Sure, I, yeah. I think it could be the well, collection. All different price points. There's some of them are different sizes. Sure. It's mm -hmm. just it's difficult. To put a whole collection. If I in. if I had to pick out of them, I would pick the Tahoe yeah, because it, it renders much better in person than it does. Mm -hmm. in it's any very models. nice. It's I loved awesome. it as well. It's I, I so really clean. Did. Yeah. I would be so happy to have that. Oh, watch. I would be stoked, especially yeah. wearing that in the summer. You know, like that super crisp yeah. white case, white dial if with the could, black in the seat. If they could turn that into a forty-one mil like they did with the other Top Gun, I'd be all over it. Oh yeah. So, so that's that's a strong contender. And again, we already have more than ten on the list right now. So okay. we're gonna have to weed some down. Prior to talking about the Cartier and Vacherons we liked, as, as Bilal's talking about, what else are we missing from that side of the show? I mean, pretty much, you know, Roger Dubuis, okay. We saw this not down. They are not part of Richmond, but, but they are confusingly on the Richmond side of the fair. Right. Well, they've always sort of been part of that yeah. side change. I thought the free cast was awesome. With the two balanced wheels. It just, it looks cool. It wears cool. I don't care that the complication isn't like necessary it's just something that they decided to put in there we were at time to watches yesterday and patrick Pernod, the ceo was wearing it i was just like that's such a such a cool looking watch mm -hmm. and i think that they really win in terms of design it has a bunch all the watchmaking nerdity to get you excited but wow is that a stunning looking watch for me that is definitely a top 10 contender yeah, the for me guess. as well absolutely okay so let's move on to vacheron constantin and cartier we'll start with vacheron Bilal, what, what did you fall in love with there? The 222 was obviously their breakout of the year. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. 
recreation of the original in solid gold. You know, not original, obviously, because it's a recreation, but it shouldn't have been original, but it's just perfectly executed, stunning, gorgeous, perfect. What I like about Did the you like it, Bilal, though? <laughs> kind of torn on it overall, though, you know? No, it was what stunning. What was the price on it? I don't remember. $62,000. There you go. I mean, Look, sure. I, I, I would put it on not? the list for a couple of reasons. One, the original 222s were made in small quantities and were really hard to get. And I do think that there's a market for you know more people getting it. I'm a huge fan of George Heisek, who's the designer, uh, the yeah. original designer of it. He's gone on to do some incredibly futuristic stuff that I like. It's a very wearable watch. And Vacheron Constantin is not producing it as a limited edition, which I think would have really ruined it for me because it would have been one of those FOMO watches. And yeah. they're like, we're just going to make a few. It's going to be in the collection. So annoying. I know they had some lovely overseas. The titanium skeleton tourbillon was also a near perfect watch, in my opinion. Doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't have to. It's just wearable and fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all it had to do was be on my wrist and just knock me on the floor. It's just such a banger. I mean, come on. No, it, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I, I think That's the edge That's my cogent argument for it. It's such a banger. <laughs> it's I a mean, banger. come on. <laughs> the, the edge for me is going to go to the 222. Yeah. Simply because it's a little bit easier to wrap your mind around, a little bit more wearable on a daily basis. If you're listening and you hear the... We're that not going to award them. That is Roger Dubuis getting upset for not being on the list, you know? It is their hourly, on the hour... <laughs> it's like a geyser. ...noise yeah. presentation. So we'll, we'll put the 222 in there. I honestly think we should break here because I see the volumes there and it's just getting in there. We're barely louder than this yeah. thing. Well, before the guys rejoin from the Roger Debris audio bomb, it's time for you, the loyal listener, to have a chance to get your hands on some amazing t-shirts from the official A Blog to Watch store designed by Ariel and Team A Blog to Watch. We are going to select our favourite audience contribution and send them something from the collection. You've got two ways of sending in your contribution. First option, email me, rick at ablogtowatch.com. Second option, follow the show on Spotify at ablogtowatchweekly. And using the voice memo function on the Spotify app, send us your contribution. The best contribution might even get used in the show, so get your entries in now. We're back. We just had to take a quick pause because the Roger Dubuis booth, which is right next to the dedicated media space for recording where we are, is so loud, it's as though a Tyrannosaurus Dubuis is attacking us, and uh, <laughs> we use the opportunity to joke a lot. Roger Lecoult, we're just going to, you know... Not too much to talk about. Maybe next year, guys. Maybe next year. No, We've been David, saying that for like five years now. The Polaris was kind of cool. For 35000 it's better But it's a parts people. bin exchange. We have this movement. We have this case. Let's marry the two. I mean, yeah. this is not exactly the type of thing that we want to see from a brand like Jager. So Jager has, been, has not been itself for many years now, I think. I love how some of the, like, there's ads around town for, you know, the Watches and Wonders brands. And... What's funny with the Jager ones, they still have the, you know, the crazy Hybris Mechanica uh, Reverso. That was released like four years ago now. Yeah. Like, they, they couldn't put any of their new watches that's, in the ads. That's nuts. It's totally nuts. So, again, we like the brand. Cool Atmos clock if you're in the market for stuff like that. Great booth. Great booth. Oh, really we, fantastic booth. We still have to get to Cartier, right? Cartier. Cartier, and then we're going to move on to the, the smaller independent brands in 
the Koray, as they call it. I like the Pasha. You know, again, it's not. The it didn't just come out. There's a few versions of the Pasha. I thought the gold one with the removable grill was Hilarious. funny, cute. Basically, if you guys don't know, there's the, the, the Pasha de Cartier that has this cage in front of it to protect the crystal when you're jumping into the pool or whatever. And now it's in solid gold and you can unscrew it and you, you have the sapphire crystal underneath it. So yeah, you have like this like palm-sized piece of gold that you can technically very easily lose. Oh gosh, it. yeah. It's, we were laughing about that. I, I, again, not, not top 10 stuff, fun. No. Bilal, you seem to think that there was a top 10 thing there. I know the Santos and Steel with the sort of the two different blue versions was definitely super nice. I think the Privé Tank Chinois with the skeleton enamel dial was possibly the most beautiful watch I saw at the show. It was yeah, very pretty, just absolutely. A work of art. Small. Uh, it's it's perfectly sized. Yeah. It should not be any bigger. It would be outrageous looking if yeah. it was, you know. It's a piece of it's a piece of oriental art. It's not a page from a comic book. That's why I think it, it, it has to be that size. It's, it has to look good 50 years from now and not remind you of the large watch trend. Was this a serially made watch, a limited edition, one it's of their one-offs? It's a privé, so it's limited. I think there's uh, 150 of them. Mm. Okay. Um, I believe it's about just shy of $100,000. Yeah. How much? Look, I believe it's just shy of $100,000. I, I didn't see pricing on it. Cartier so. limited editions actually tend to be kind of cool. Uh, I agree it's nice. For me, it's one of those what I call high culture watches. Not really for mainstream consumption. Definitely requires some education to understand. And this show is full of stuff like that. Very highbrow, artistic, luxury things. I mean, that represents like basically all of Van Cleef, for example. Good. I always have reservations about recommending that to a mainstream audience that it doesn't actually see it. Not about not. a watch that you would buy from a recommendation, obviously. <laughs> this is a Maybe watch that would, you, yeah. this is not going to be your first Cartier even, you know. Yeah. This is for seasoned buyers with unlimited seasoned. funds who are in love with pre-vague, you know, for right. years. I love it. If you don't love it, I get it. It's not for everyone. It's, it's a work of art. As a watch, I love it. I, I don't see a hundred grand value in it. Value. I, I, I really like the uh, Daytona de Cartier, which is basically <laughs> 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 just a Pasha chronograph that totally looks like basically the Daytona by Cartier. <laughs> it's different enough, but you're getting such strong Daytona vibes, it's uncanny. Is yeah, it still I, April I, 1st? I would yeah, actually really, really consider that, genuinely. I like that watch. It's it's such a funky little thing. I, I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun. I mean, I don't know. I I have reservations about anything from Cartier truly hitting the top ten list. You're, but you're. I like Cartier. I'm a Cartier. Fan. And also, you're specifically partial to the Pasha. Yeah, but the Pasha again. It's it's not the first year it's been reintroduced. That happened already. Yeah. The new line extensions are great. But what we really see <laughs> is Cartier kind of doing what they did in the past. The Pasha with the grill. Yeah, it's new that you remove it, but. Again, it's like the world's, you know, easiest $10,000 item to lose, this little grill that goes on top of it, you know? Imagine calling the Cartier Center like, Oh, Hello. they've already got a bunch of extras. They already know it's coming, right? They're, oh, yeah. they're waiting. They have an official you know statement of grill? Yes, yes, we know. Okay. Yes, we I only think two of those. $12,000. Yeah. I think yeah, it's I, easy I, to be snarky about some Cartier stuff, but I do think that some of their stuff was truly among the 
most impressive watch making I've seen. It, it was, show. it was. And I guess, you know, it, I wouldn't override it so quickly, but we have a whole other set of brands to talk about. Okay. Over at the Carre, Bilal and I really liked the tourbillon, the cylindrical tourbillon from H. Moser and C, the Pioneer. That oh, was yeah. that was Absolutely amazing. stunning. Right? Like 86 grand and worth every penny. Yeah. So good. You know, so something good. you could wear a little bit more often than that $100,000, you know, Cartier. Just Maybe saying. you could, yeah. Just saying. Okay, you're right. It depends on the person. Both of them it's exceptional. It's wearing it more often. It's about getting more watch for your 100 grand or 86 It's a lot of watch for the 100 grand. It's, uh, 86 grand, even. 86 grand. Yeah. So, okay. So that one, I think, actually deserved a spot because it was just so satisfying. And not that it was wearable, but they had that watch that was a streamliner completely coated in Vanta black, yeah. which was just, I think from an artistic standpoint, to see that in the case, to, to understand how that type of black color and material works, to see the hands just pop out like they're floating in space. Yeah. I just, I, I enjoyed seeing that, you yeah. know? I think it's great that they can make a watch that they want to produce it is not a April Fool's joke, but you were insisting that it was yeah. an April Fool's we joke, even though said it came that. out you March thirtieth. You were like, 30th. "It's an April Fool's joke," and I'm like, and "I it's don't not. think it is." They said that they want to make it as a, you know, who knows how long it's going to take, and if it comes out as, you Did know, you, I didn't get three to, pieces. I didn't get to go to that appointment. Did you guys? Was it just in the case, or did you? You can't it? take it out. You're not case. allowed to touch it. You okay. can't. No one can. It would fall apart. You know, probably. It doesn't fall apart, but that that it. Venta black is a fabric. Gets destroyed. Yeah, it gets destroyed if you touch it. It's got nanofiber. It's convenient for a watch. Well, it's just that's oh, yeah. why I thought Very it was practical. April Fool's watch because it's a wristwatch you can't actually touch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I how know. am I wrong in thinking it is a joke? If they want to produce it as a mainstream product, we can move on. Okay. <laughs> um, also in that area, and again, there's lots of watches we saw that we're not allowed to talk Maybe about Maybe not mainstream yet. product, sorry. So unfortunately, we cannot you know, include everything we saw on the top 10 list. You know, Thinking in that space, there's a lot of little brands in there. I'm, I, we're not going to go through every single one of them. Just to think about the ones that are sort of top 10 worthy. I know that a lot of people liked the new Resonance Type 8, which is their, you know, their, their time only, just hour and minute one. You know, lovely watch, whole lot of reflectivity, $14,000. I thought it was nice. I wouldn't call it top 10 of the show. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If there's anything else from the Carrey that you feel you know, has, a, has a strong reason to be on this top 10 list? Um, I like the 14 grand price point for a Renaissance. I think yeah. that's been a long time coming and long, long overdue. I mean, you're standing in line for a Daytona that's 13, eight or whatever, and you know you're never gonna get the call and you just say, you know, whatever. I just drop my 14 grand at a brand that will take it and I will have a watch that people will actually want to ask me about because no one's gonna walk up to you and say, is that a Daytona? Yeah, of course it is. No one's gonna ask it off your wrist, but everyone's gonna want to know like, what the hell is that reflective weird looking thing? Oh, it's made in Switzerland and it's a Renaissance and it's cool. So I feel like for 14 grand, it's, it's uh, I'm happy. I don't think Renaissance existed at this price point before, right? No. Mm -hmm. I think it's the new lowest yeah, point. it is, and it's uh, not not by too much, but it is definitely yeah. low. I like the brand for other things. I feel that that particular case shape, again, it's so reflective, and I just, it's so unbelievably reflective. I think I, you might be harping on its issues being photographed too much, yeah, yeah. and, you know, it's a very cool... It's know, very cool looking. It's, it's very, very cool. cool. There are other entry-level watches, I think, were pebble shaped more than like a perfect circle and not yeah. quite so you know they weren't this inexpensive affordable sorry not inexpensive no. i think they were closer to to twenty thousand 
than 14. Right. And it's also a matter of, you know, matter of thing that whether it's uh, reflective on photographs or reflective, you know, to your own eyes. Because sometimes what yeah. you see is the stuff is reflective on pictures and then actually it's not too bad. Um, oh, I totally forgot. Hermes, the world timer. Oh, the right. the I, my French is terrible. Le temps voyager. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that watch. It was so good. Because so they good. created a fake That's, world for it with yeah. the redirect movement and the orbital orbital uh, dial. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So massive. good. And at Cartier, we forgot the uh, the mysterious mass. Oh right. Oh yeah. Which was crazy cool. Yes. Where the entire movement was the automatic rotor. It's one of the coolest movements in one of the worst packages. I think it's like. The domed crystal that doesn't make any sense. The weird case. The whole it's bloated in its proportions. It, it's a weird and ugly case, and to my eyes, at least, and crystal and a fantastic. Speaking of weird stuff, the new version of the Weep One or the Wep One from Rebellion, the biaxial one. Here's a 210,000 Swiss franc biaxial tourbillon. It sort of floats on your wrist in like a little tube. Okay, a little c cylinder tube. I don't want to hear the word tube on my $210,000. It's, it's, it's got drums, these turning drums to tell the time. I, I It's weird. I, cool. I was romanced by that watch. I like that one. Maybe not top 10 worthy, but definitely. How about, how about Ferdinand Berthou, just for the sake of them showing all the other brands, uh, you know, the pink lifting, you know, big brands who are like, Oh, you know, we do auto luxury better than others. And then Ferdinand Berthu comes yeah. into the picture and, and tells them, like, shows them actually how Hold actual <laughs> hand finishing is done to like an unbelievable level. But yeah. the one that we, we can't talk about, about their new about. piece yeah, because exactly. it's coming out in the fall. Yeah. It's a bit cheaper than the stuff that they put out. Incredible. A little bit. I mean, it's, it, it's it, a, yeah. It, it's more affordable. But, but even the ones we can talk about right now, the, the finishing is just, you know, incredible. I, I think I might have photographed every single Ferdinand Berthu, and there's there have actually been more than you, you think. Because, you know, if they produce like 40 different movements, different 40 movements per year, and they've been around for like six, seven years, you know, that's about 200 watches. They repackage it every, you know, 10, 15 iterations. So there's been a bunch. And I clearly remember that the first ones, or maybe like the second batch, and the ones I'm photographing now look exactly the same on my pictures. You know, the quality yeah. is just so consistently the highest and best you can get. It's it's truly incredible. I agree. Yeah. They so did hat tip to credit. Them. Absolutely. Arya, we might want to wrap this up because Bilal has to go and shoot some Patek watches. Yeah, yeah we, we should... got some more stuff to do. This has been a good chat. Um, I think that we've discussed more than uh, 10 timepieces. As you can see, we're going to have to... Yeah, scale it down a little bit. Top 25, that's exactly what I I remember one year at Basel, we had two top 10 lists. Yeah. It was brand new watches and, and updates. Really? That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we should talk real quick before we wrap about just the experience, because this is the first time we've had yeah. this experience it's in been three, three years, years almost. So just kind of a recap of the highs and the lows. Energy levels low. Yeah, I mean, it feels <laughs> like we're It was great to be back. It was great, great to see people. It's been yeah. years of Zoom meetings and you know emails and all this stuff, and we finally got to do this again since 2019. And you know, it's industry specific, but yeah. the people really are, you know, yeah. a big part it's of why we're It doesn't watches. feel like that much time went by. Like it, it sort of feels like there was a small lag, but a lot of the same faces, but a lot of people are completely different brands. You know, like. You see someone like, what was the last brand you saw? You the emergence of what feels like Basel and mm -hmm. SIHH yeah. in one show. Yeah. 
Hmm. Like it's as it should be. It's wild and way more convenient for us yeah. to yeah. not do it within three months of um, each other. A major question that we've all got, I think, is like, how do you think about the show? Should it go on? I mean, there was a question over the last couple of years of whether these trade shows even have reason to exist. And I mean, it's a complicated conversation, but everyone wants to come. Everybody wants to see each other in person. Everybody wants to see watches in real life. There's no other way in doing it than something like this. I think this show proves that it has to continue. I mean, what other format can we get so many people and so many watches in the same place at the same time? There's nothing that can replicate actually putting on these watches, actually holding them, photographing them. I mean, we talked about watches that our opinions changed after you hold them. There's nothing that can recreate that that in-person experience. Yeah, I, I just can't think of an other industry of this scale that doesn't have its exhibition. Can you imagine like whatever weird industry that you can think of not to have at least one single freaking thing, you know, where they uh, come together at least once a year? That's my first point. And my second one is that I, th I think, you know, it's reasonable to say that these brands and these groups can easily afford this. Yeah. And they need to, to create this experience where we come together and celebrate watchmaking and what they have been able to, to put together over the, la the course of the last year. It has to happen because it's a celebration of the industry and it's a sign of its health, uh, you know. And, and so for the, all those reasons and a bunch of others, I believe that this has to be a thing. Yeah, we're both critic and cheerleader. I think sometimes media gets a rap for, you know, being critical of, of the product, but also we're its biggest fans. Like, oh, yeah. this, we're nerds about this stuff. Like, we're here for a reason. Yeah. We're product critics. We're going to criticize the product because we want it to be better. We're going to criticize the show because we want it to be better. And it's because we care. And yeah. if the Swatch Group came back, it would really be every mm -hmm. watch brand in Oh my God, can you imagine Swatch show. Group reaching on LVMH under one roof? It will happen. I think there's a higher chance of it happening than it's not. I it's agree with you. After FOMO this. will kick in so hard so soon. Yeah, we're back. Yeah. So we want the show to be two weeks long now? Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, I think we can wrap up. So yeah. Like yeah. No, it could be the same length of time and have the Swatch Group brands. We're on and what? even Breitling. Day, yeah. day 77 right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> We've been here day for 90. a year. <laughs> yes. I, want, I want more shows rather than like longer shows, but that's a whole different discussion. Thank you so much for listening to the Blog to Watch recap of Watches and Wonders Geneva 2022. We will see which of the watches we talked about make the top 10 list. And you can see lots of Watches and Wonders 2022 content across the rest of the year on the blogtowatch.com website and our social media channels. Uh, everyone, you want to say goodbye? Goodbye, and thank you for sticking with us all this week. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah, bye guys. All right, talk to you soon.